0: All right, as you're having a seat, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. As we begin, I'd like for us to read Psalm 1 together. I realize we all have different translations, so we're going to use mine, okay? (laughs) Psalm chapter 1, let's read together. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Church, we have two great callings. To worship and to witness. We finished our our study of the book of Matthew just a few weeks ago with Matthew chapter 28, which is the great commission, which is the mission of the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age because this is your mission. I will be with you in accomplishing that mission. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and through the uttermost parts of the earth, we're called to witness to the grandeur and the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ and that life is found in him. Our second great calling is that we worship. And the more that we really understand what worship is about and we worship truly in spirit and truth and we fall more and more in love with our Savior Jesus, the greater our desire to witness will also be. The more we appreciate Jesus and all that he has done for us and his grace in our lives, the more we are going to look at our friends and family and say, I want you to have that too. And so the church is called to these two great things, to worship and to witness. And so we have these moments where we come together from time to time, and we worship together, and we learn how to worship together even better. So we're turning this summer to the book of Psalms, which is one of the greatest resources the church has for teaching us how to worship. Right, this, is, uh, this is like the, the ancient Jewish playlist of right, their best of the best, their favorite worship songs, 150 songs, and they cover a really wide variety of human experience. There are thanksgiving songs, and there are praise songs, and there are lament songs for sorrow. There are imprecatory, imprecatory psalms, and there are angry at enemies, and there are also uh, wisdom psalms. And the book of Psalms actually starts with a wisdom psalm, which is... The way of life, so to speak, right? The the whole book opens up like this. Here's the way life works, and it doesn't work any other way. So choose the pathway of life, because in a sense, God's rigged the game. God created a universe in which things work a certain way. Maybe not immediately, but eventually, this is how life will work out, and life won't work out the other way. Now, maybe not immediately, again, but eventually, this is the way of wisdom, this is the way of foolishness, this is the way of life, this is the way of death, this is the way of Prosperity And this is the way of perishing. So choose life and wisdom and prosperity. Walk this way. And if you've lived any amount of time, you know you've, you've seen this in your own experience, right? There are choices that we make and we realize this is just not going to work. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's the way of death. And then other choices we know, you know, that should work out eventually. We see it in, in everyday occurrences. I want to illustrate for you with uh, a story that comes kind of from my family lore My grandfather, uh, Ivan Fisher, had a construction business with my great-uncle, Marlon Noble. And they, if if you notice uh, on the photo here at the bottom right there, Fisher and Noble, they dug basements and they did other excavation and ditches and sand and gravel. And so they built roads, and one time they got a contract to reinforce a dam. So they drove up into the mountains, this is in Washington State, to their gravel pit, and they put dynamite in the side of the hill, and they blew it out, and they collected the gravel, and they would drive it down the mountain and Reinforced the dam. But what happened after they've been working on this job for a while is some vandals were going to the gravel pit and were uh, messing with their equipment. They're pouring sand and gravel down the exhaust pipes of the the, the, uh, bulldozer and the excavator and all this kind of thing. So my uh, great uncle Marlin decided he would take care of that. So he took his sleeping bag and his shotgun and camped out up by the gravel pit. Right Now, this is a different day and age when you, you handled things a little bit differently. So Uncle Marlin is up there at the gravel pit in his sleeping bag at night with his shotgun ready, and sure enough, these vandals come up, and he discovers it's four high school boys messing with the equipment. He's about to deal with the situation, and then he notices that they pulled their car up to his diesel tank and begin stealing his diesel fuel. Now, if, if you're tracking with me here, They've got a car that runs on gas, but they're filling it with diesel. And so Uncle Marlin just lets them fill up their car entirely, right? Because gas-powered engines don't run on diesel, at least not very long. Maybe for a little while, but not very long. And sure enough, they filled up, they drove away, and Mar- just kicking back, smiling, enjoying this moment, because they got a mile or two down out of the mountains, and they got stuck on the side of the hill, and they had to leave their car there. They got out, they had to walk all the way out of the mountains to get home. The next morning, my dad came up uh, with his with his father, my grandfather, And they met Uncle Marlon coming down at the car. And my Uncle Marlon said to my dad, said, well, get in the bulldozer. And my dad was 12 at the time. Again, remember, this is a different day and age, no OSHA or anything like that. My dad gets in the bulldozer at age 12, and he says, hook it up to the car and drag the car up to the gravel pit. So my dad gets in the bulldozer. He drags the car up to the gravel pit. Marlon gets in the bulldozer. And then he piles a 12-foot-high wall all the way around the entire car. It's a beautiful thing. I, 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 love, this, I love this story. Um, now, realize I'm not giving you an illustration of how to resolve conflict. It's just, it's just an illustration of the fact that the way that God has ordered the universe, things work certain ways and they don't work other ways. You can't run long on a, a, a gas-powered engine with diesel fuel. It's just not going to work. And if you make foolish decisions in life, eventually those will catch up to you. On the other hand, if you follow God's pathway, the way of wisdom, life will work. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. Here's the way of wisdom, the way of life, the way of prosperity, the way of the righteous. Follow this pathway, but don't follow the other pathway. And every single day, each and every one of us has to make choices. Which pathway will we follow? And so let's look first at the way of the righteous, or as it's described here in Psalm 1, the pathway of blessing. Read with me beginning in verse 1 again. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The first observation I want to make is simply this. There is such a life. There there is a life that's a life of blessing. God has created us for that life. And people call it by lots of different names. They call it a blessed life, the, the good life, or prosperity. They call it by a lot of different names. And everyone wants it. Everyone wants this life. Even if they're not sure exactly what it is, everyone wants it. No one reaches that stage of self-awareness and says, you know, as I look forward to the future of my life, I hope I just get, reach this wonderful level of mediocrity. Right? Nobody says that. Or I hope I have a bad life. I hope I destroy my life. People don't say that. No, they, everyone wants and longs for a great life. But very, very few people find it because they don't know where to look for it. In fact, if you read reading Servant on the Mount, right toward the end, chapter 7, Jesus said this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are very few who find it. Everyone wants it, but very few people find it because they don't know where to look. And so they chase after all kinds of things that are actually this pathway of destruction and foolishness, thinking that they can find life there. A few years ago, I was passing a newsstand and... Uh, One of the magazines on the cover was, or one of the magazines was uh, Life, and on the cover of Life magazine, uh, the title was this, Lives Well Lived, and it was a series of biographical sketches, so Lives Well Lived, and the cover photo was Kurt Cobain, and some of you know who uh, Kurt Cobain is, others of you who don't, let me fill you in. Kurt Cobain was lead singer of a grunge band called Nirvana, Uh, put a lot of hits out there, he was very popular in his day, very famous. He also struggled deeply with addiction. He had a heroin addiction, and at age 27 he killed himself. Lives well lived. Now I thought it was kind of ironic that the name of his band is Nirvana, which is the eastern concept of blessing. The best that life life has to offer, and Kurt Cobain in many respects achieved that, and he said, I don't want any part of it. Everyone's Looking for it. No one says, I want a terrible life, but very, very few people find it because they listen to the world. And if you listen to the world, you will never find all that God has to offer to us. Listen to these words from Malachi chapter 3. You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, even those who challenge God escape. The Lord says, If you listen to the world, they're going to say, evil is good, and good is evil. This is the path of life, but it's actually the path of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. And if you listen to the world, you will, in fact, destroy your life. You won't find life. You'll notice that, again, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. It's kind of patterned after what you will see in Proverbs. And in, in this type of literature... There's often a cautionary tale that's given, right? In Proverbs, it says, hey, watch that young man. He's about to ruin his life and learn from that. Psalm 1 starts the same way with this cautionary tale. So you want to find life, this life that God has designed, that that you are designed for? Don't go that way. How blessed is this man? How blessed is this woman? How blessed is this person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It's not, in fact, found that way. Notice there's a progression here. It says, how oh, blessed this person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is, he doesn't listen to the world's voice. He identifies that that's the way of destruction and he stops listening. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. That is, he doesn't participate in their behavior. He doesn't sit in the seat. That is, he doesn't identify himself with them. See the progression? Listening, participating, identifying. And what the progression illustrates to us is this. This slide into a destructive life doesn't happen overnight. All of our lives are, are these, these incremental choices, these small decisions, little by little, right? No one wakes up one morning and says, you know, my life is awesome, it's wonderful. I'm rightly related to God, and I'm blessed, and I love him, and I'm, I have good relationships with these people around me. What could I do today to destroy all that, right? No, nobody, nobody actually says that. Instead, we make, make small choices, little choices, these incremental choices that just slowly sometimes almost imperceptibly, imperceptibly move us away from God, away from a path of life and along a path of destruction. So there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. If you listen to the world, you'll never find the pathway of life. Years ago, when my dad and I first started backpacking, we were novices and we made lots of mistakes, but we had fun. We were just learning in the process, right? But I remember one time we were on a trail and we realized that our, our trail went, went down the side of, of this mountainous valley, and then it looped around, and it came back here, and then we went across through the next valley. And we looked at the map and thought, you know, this, there's a much more direct route. We will just cut straight down the mountain across the valley, and we're there. Why bother with this? We, we know better. And so, sure enough, we scrambled down the side of the mountain. And, we're, you know, we're kind of banged up and we're cut up in the process. But it's not bad. We're having fun. And we get to the bottom of the valley. And, you know, from up top, it looked really smooth and green. And it was all, we thought, this is smooth going. Let's get down there. Once we got down there, this is in Colorado. And those of you who've hiked there know we got to the bottom. And it was 10-foot it was high willow trees. And soggy, swampy ground below them. And we began thrashing our way through these willow trees and they're cutting up our arms and our legs and there are mosquitoes everywhere and we're being devoured. And we looked at one another and thought, yeah, this is the way of death. Get out, right? Get out. So we went back and got on the trail. And even though it seemed longer, it was the most direct route. It was the way of wisdom. That's, that's the life that each of us wants. It's a great life. It's a good life. It's a pers- prosperous life. It's the way of blessing. What, but, but what does that mean? Right, what does that actually mean? Well, this, this idea of um, blessing is actually mentioned 44 times in the Old Testament, but 26 of those times, is, it's in the book of Psalms. Right? Blessing is found through this pathway of worship that is aligning myself with who God is and God's way. So what does it mean to be blessed? How blessed is the man? How blessed is the woman? When the Psalms, what you discover is blessing, in a sense, kind of operates on two levels. There's the blessing that's circumstantial. Make good choices, generally speaking, or eventually, life works well. If you eat well and exercise, you probably will live a longer and healthier life. Generally true. If you work hard and you set money aside, you probably will end life and be more comfortable and able to provide for yourself. Generally speaking, these things work well. This way, And if you're lazy and you don't work, you might end up impoverished. And if you abuse your body and don't take care of it, well, you might end your life early. That's just generally kind of how things work. And the, the Psalms call that blessing. Right? It's the immediate circumstantial blessing for living according to the pattern of the universe. If you turn to Psalm 128, the psalmist illustrates this. This is a, a psalm of ascent that the people would sing as they were preparing themselves, going up to Jerusalem for a feast or a festival. Psalm 128. It says, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord blessed you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what he's he's saying, you follow the way of the Lord, and things work well. There's there's fruitfulness in your house. There's fruitfulness in your field. It works. But it doesn't always work, does it? Sometimes we try to follow God's pathway, and we try to make wise decisions, and we look around us, and life isn't working out well. You'll find other psalms where... The writer is really struggling with that and struggling with God. Psalm, um, Psalm 73 illustrates this. The, the writer looks out and he says, I, I see the, the world around me, and it's the unrighteous who seem to be blessed. Everything seems to be going well with them. Their life is at ease, and this frustrates me. And I don't understand it because sometimes Christians, even when we make wise and good choices... The consequences are not always good and they're not always immediate, and we wonder what does it mean then to be blessed? Can I still experience blessing when life isn't working out circumstantially as I'd want it to? The answer is yes. I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, and we're going to go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. Jesus begins his most famous sermon with the theme of blessing. Because this is what all Israel wanted. That's what all people want. We want a good life. We want all that life has to offer. And so Jesus says, as I begin the sermon, let me tell you about the good life. Let me tell you about the good life. Verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says... Yeah, things don't always work out perfectly for those who choose the path of wisdom and righteousness, but it's still the life that's blessed. Blessed are you, he says, when people persecute you, when they revile you, when they take your property, maybe they take your freedom, maybe they even take your life. Why? Because you know that your life is rightly aligned with the creator of the universe, and he is smiling on the life that you have chosen to live. You are blessed. And often, normally... Things will turn out well because you make wise decisions, but sometimes they won't because you've chosen to walk in obedience to Jesus, and when they don't turn out well, you still know that forever all will be well with your soul, that there will come a day when you stand before Jesus and he sets all things right in the universe, finally, We don't have to wonder and question any longer. All things are set right, and all sorrows and tears are are wiped away from our eyes, and there's no more pain in our bodies, and there's no pain in our relationships. All these things have been set right, and we know that we're living in that order. In the meantime, even though it's messy now because it's a broken and fallen world, God is smiling on the life that we have chosen to live. That's the blessed life. Because ultimately, the psalmist will tell us, the blessing is God. The blessing is, is knowing God and being known by God, possessing God and being possessed by him. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 84 and verse 1. Psalm 84 and verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. What is the ultimate blessing? It's knowing that my life is right with God and that my life will be right with God forever. So even when things aren't right in this world and aren't right In my circumstances, all will be right with him forever. So notice how the psalmist in chapter 1 describes this life. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 3. How blessed is this man! He will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water or better, canals of water. The streams didn't always flow. It was just seasonal. But instead, he's chosen to place himself where there is the most continual flow of water. He's supplied by God. He's supplied by God. His life is rightly related to God. He will consequently yield fruit in its season. That is, life will not just be a blessing for him, but it will be a blessing for others. Others can come by. And live from his fruit. His life will be fulfilled because it will be meeting God's design for why he has ma- been made. Its leaf does not wither when the drought comes and it will eventually come. It will still have green leaves and supply shade for others. And in whatever he does, he prospers. That is, he will be a blessing to those around him. That's, that's the good life. That's the blessed life. Is it circumstantially perfect? No. But it's rightly related to the creator of the universe. So, how do we find it? Well, the psalmist says, Don't look here, look here, right? How blessed is the man who doesn't look here? He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't listen to their voice of what they say is good. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't make decisions to live according to their lifestyle. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. That is, he doesn't identify himself with those who shun God. But instead, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Notice, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That is, he's not just casually acquainted with God's ways. He doesn't just drop in and get a nugget of truth, an idea off of the calendar that's disposable for the day. No, instead his delight is in the law of the Lord. He loves what God has to say. I love this verse in Psalm 119. It says, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. See, this isn't a casual interest in the word of God. David says, I will run after your ways. And the more that I run after your ways, the larger heart you give me. See, see the beauty of that metaphor? The more that I chase, the more that I want to chase, and the more that I can chase, and I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. As Jesus would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, it says he meditates. Remember that that word is Uh, describes murmuring, right? He's just running it around in his mind and he's chewing on it in his mouth. It's the same terminology that was used of Joshua. Chapter one, God came to Joshua and he said, Moses is dead. Now Joshua, I'm gonna give you responsibility to do something that you can't do and that's take in two million people who complain about everything and teach them to love me and conquer their enemies. How will you do it? He says, this is how, Joshua, this is how. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth. But you will meditate on it. You will chew on it day and night. You will let it run through your mind and run through your heart and you will have it run through your mouth and you'll speak it and think it and you'll chew on it and grind it up. It's not just a casual acquaintance, but you're going to love it and you're going to run after it. That's the kind of interaction with the truth that guides your pathway. Let me illustrate. Um, I, uh, in my job, I, I meet with people throughout the week. I'm, every lunch is, is an appointment with somebody. And when I go out to uh, barbecue, my wife always knows, right? I come home and she goes, uh, you went to Rudy's today, right? And I go, how did you know? She goes, because you smell like Rudy's, right? Cause, so I learned, I uh, was raised in New York. I didn't ever even have barbecue. I hadn't even heard of barbecue until I moved to Texas. And I realized when I got down here that you don't actually eat barbecue. You experience barbecue, right? You, you live barbecue, So you, you know, and, and the more you get into it, you become a connoisseur of the whole experience of living barbecue, right? So you go, you know, I don't like the ribs over there. Those are a little too greasy. And these, this brisket's a little too dry. But gosh, their, their chicken is good. And their pork tenderloin here. And, you know, and their sauce, that's a, little, that's a little sweet for me. I like the spicier, better, right? Because it's an experience. It's a cult, right? It's the cult of barbecue that you experience. And I come home and my wife says, you were in the cult, right? You, you're, you're, you were in the culture. You lived barbecue today. How would you know? Because it's in you. Give me your clothes, right? That's what God has for us, that we would be so into God's truth and his word that we would be an aroma of Jesus. People would be around us and maybe they couldn't identify the specific smell that they'd say, but they'd say, that's something unique. That's something special. That's something different. What is that smell? And we say, Jesus. How blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's running so hard after God's way. And he's meditating and he's chewing on it and he's ruminating on it. And it's in him. It's a part of him and it flows out of him. How do we get there? Let me give you a specific application that you can take away from this series. We're studying the book of Psalms. And some of you will even reach down and you'll take notes. But often what happens for me is I close up that sermon notebook and I set it to the side. And I don't think about it, maybe even ever again. So what I'd like for you to do as we go through this summer is rewrite each psalm in your own words. I'm challenging you. You don't have to be a poet. Nothing has to rhyme. But if you slow down and you put every thought and every word into your own words, it will force you to meditate on it, right? Let it get into you so it can guide your pathway into the pathway of life. Because that's what we long for, right? None of us says, I want a mediocre life or I want to destroy my life. I want the blessed life. And God says, I can show that to you. Will you listen to me? Now, there's also more to the cautionary tale. The life that is not blessed, the pathway of destruction. And let's look at this before we finish. Chapter 1, verse 4. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now, I realize that um, many of you consider yourselves farmers, right? Farmers fight, farmers fight, farmers farmers fight, right? It's, uh, but some of you don't, you don't know what I'm doing here. And even those of you who were raised on a farm, you didn't harvest by hand. You harvest through uh, machinery, right? So this analogy made perfect sense to everyone who read it back in the ancient Near East, but maybe not quite as much in our day. So let me let me give you a visual and let me describe what's happening here. And what happened is they would go into the field and they would take their sickle and they'd cut down all the grasses. And they would take the grass and they would put it in a big pile on top of a rise, usually just a, a little hill or a knoll that was hard, almost always rocky ground because everything's rocky over there. And then they would stomp it down. Or they would get one of their animals to drag a log behind it and it would just crush all of the grass. In the process of crushing the grass, that kernel of wheat or that kernel of barley would be broken away from the husk, which is the chaff. And then they would take a pitchfork or they would just take their hands and they would throw it up into the air on a windy day. And the chaff, that is the grass, the part that they didn't want, would just be blown away by the wind and that kernel, that that wheat or that barley, because it's more substantial and heavy, would just fall to the ground and they could gather it up and make their bread. That's the analogy that he's giving here. And he's saying the the righteous are substantial, but the wicked are not. The wicked are like chaff, which the wind drives away. That's the life that's wasted. God has designed every life to be blessed. But that's the life that's wasted, that's the life that's not living according to God's way. And so it's it's just blown away. It's worthless. There's nothing to do with the chap. You can't make bread out of it. So it's just blown away and they don't gather it up again. It's just gone. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2, the Lord says this to his people. He says, "You know what? Yet once more I'm going to take the heavens and the earth. And I'm just going to shake everything. I'm just going to shake everything, and everything that's chaff, right? Everything that's not attached to my kingdom is just going to fly off. It's just going to be gone. Everything that's attached to my kingdom will remain because it's substantial. So what is it that actually remains? What's substantial? God, the eternal creator of the universe, who was and is and is to come. he's, He's substantial, He's valuable. And creatures made in the image of the eternal God, men and women, that's substantial. And so when we reflect the image of God, when we we create things or we put things in order or we show kindness or we speak truth, we pursue justice, we do these things that are in the image of God, we reflect the character of God who is eternal, people around us, They smell the aroma of Jesus, something like him. And we have this opportunity to connect the eternal God with people who are immortal and everlasting. And that's substantial. And maybe we do it through our words. We're speaking the truth of the gospel, or through the kindnesses that we show, or the creativity that God's allowed us to, to demonstrate in our vocation or in our home or in our neighborhood, but, but consciously aware of the fact that there are just these two things that are eternal, God and people made in his image. And we get to the end of our lives and we're standing before Jesus. And He said, how did you live? And we said, we lived well, we lived wisely. We didn't live for chaff. We lived for that kernel, that grain of wheat. We lived for the substantial thing, which is God and people made in his image. And that's a life well lived. That's the life well lived. Not the life that's, that's ephemeral, right? The chaff, the wind just drives away. Other places it's called life, life is just like a vapor. It's like smoke. It doesn't last. We each have this very short period of time on earth to live well and to live wisely. Will we leave a lasting legacy because we invested in things that really mattered or will our lives be like that chaff? Let me illustrate again. It's the difference between planting pansies and an oak tree. Okay, now, for you gardening-type people who love gardening, I'm going to risk offending you, but it's just my illustration that resonates for me. right? I, don't, I hate planting pansies because it just feels like such a waste. I mean, seriously, you know, you go down to, to Lowe's and you buy this big flat. You, you're, it's like, just let me light my money on fire because I'm going to put a pansy in the ground. Right, right I understand. You put it, you put, I understand. Somebody even said to me between services, it's like, Seriously, I can't believe you're even saying this to me. You plant pansies in winter. I go, I get it, but there's only one day of winter in Texas, right? So you plant, plant it, and then there's a heat wave the next day, and whoosh, the pansy's gone. I mean, that's just ridiculous waste of money. And it drives my wife crazy sometimes that I have this perspective, so I just go buy her pansies and light the rest of my wallet on fire as I'm doing so. It's like, whatever, right? But I mean, you just even think about it. The name betrays it. Pansy. <laughs> So, or I can, I can plant pansies or I plant an oak tree, right? It's solid. It's substantial. You may not see flowery, beautiful stuff immediately, but it's going to last. In fact, the house that we used to live in, it's on uh, Vienna drive. And I planted an oak tree, a water oak at that house. Right. And so now one of Ben's closest friends lives on Vienna. And every time we go to his house, we drive by and I point out that tree. Every time. What do you think of that tree? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, Dad. I know you planted that tree. It's amazing, right? It's amazing, right? Even his friend Shane. Shane knows about the tree. Goes Shane, what about that tree? He goes Mr. Fisher, that's really an amazing tree. I go, it sure is, man. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. I just planted this little thing, and man, and now it's huge. It's beautiful. It's perfectly shaped, and it's giving shade to all around. And you know, what? even if they were to cut down that oak tree. It would still provide value. People could make things from it, right? Do you want a pansy life or an oak tree life? That's the choice. Prosper or perish, pansies or oaks? We want to be oak trees. Firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit and blessing to others. Its leaf does not wither in the midst of even suffering and persecution. It continues to provide shade. That's the life well lived. That's what we want for ourselves. Because the other life doesn't last. And that's, that's where the psalm ends. It, it ends with reminding us that the blessed life, the prosperous life, and the foolish life or the destroyed life, it, it will be revealed. It will become obvious. Read verse 5 again with me. It says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about Two different things. In this lifetime, normally, often, our foolish choices come to life. Maybe not immediately, but normally, eventually, it it happens. The life is rigged by God to work certain ways and not others, and so it becomes evident. But he's also talking about something that's more substantial, and that is the person who who doesn't choose God, and doesn't choose to find God through Jesus, will stand before him one day and, and realize I didn't choose wisely. First Corinthians chapter one says this: To those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. Or as Jesus said of Himself, "I am the way, I'm the pathway, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm, I'm the narrow gate, I'm that opening through which you have to pass to find life, and you go in and you find life, and you go out in the pasture and you enjoy all the blessing because you've come through me." I No one actually comes to the Father but through me. And maybe this morning, the choice that you need to make is just to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe you just need to believe in him and trust him for the first time. Maybe you need to come to him and say, you know, I have made mistakes and foolish choices, which all of us have. Sometimes I've even violated my own values, my own norms. That's called sin. But that's why Jesus died. That's why he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, to take away that debt of sin so that we could find life in him. And it's a free gift. All you have to do is come to Jesus and say thank you. Thank you that you've opened the way of wisdom. And maybe this morning you just need to get on that path for the first time. Or maybe you've chosen to be on that path before, but you've made some of those just kind of small steps to find life your own way. Or maybe you've made some big steps life your own way and this morning God's spirit is calling you back and he's saying no really I need you to trust me this is the way of life walk in this way maybe this morning you need to to say yes to God's spirit and, and choose to repent and turn back to the way of wisdom or maybe you've been on this pathway a long time this way of wisdom but what you need is to refresh your hunger and your zeal for the word. You've, you've gotten into this place where you're kind of casual in your association with truth that guides your life. And you need a hunger and thirst for righteousness in a fresh way. And that's, you know, that's what God's Spirit's calling you to. I don't, I don't know. But I want to encourage you as we close to listen to the voice of the Spirit. We don't come to these moments without God having a plan. We don't come to these moments without God intending to speak a very specific word for each of us to put us on this path of blessing that he's designed us for. So I just want to encourage you to listen to the voice of the Spirit. We're going to close by reading Psalm 1 again together. So I want you to read with me. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us a way of life in Jesus. And I pray that we would increasingly learn to trust your voice and to walk in your way, that we would learn to discern the voice of the world and the foolishness that it applauds and promotes. Father, I pray that as we find life in you and we fall more in love with you and we worship you, that that sweet aroma of Jesus would, would permeate out through us to our friends and our family. I pray, Father, especially even this summer, as we travel and we, when we get to visit relatives and friends that we might have opportunities or take opportunities to speak the words of life, the words of Jesus, and all that we have found in him. Father, give us courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. God's richest blessings upon you. We'll see you next week.